The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, this is Maureen Metcalf and Julie Annexter, and the show is Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Julie's an innovation executive and practitioner. Her work is focused on creating remarkable results through embedding innovation in large and small organizations as a hands-on executive, strategist, catalyst, audience builder, educator, facilitator of enterprise change. She would say... Remarkable is a high bar, and it's the only one that interests me. So Julie, um, Julie's going to talk about her experience with innovation, what's worked, possible pitfalls, and solutions to avoid them. So the goal for our session, I want this Voice America series to provide valuable information to leaders and emerging leaders that will help them lead their organizations in dynamic times that we're currently facing. The most highly effective leaders we have create the better journey. And innovation is a core foundation to being highly effective and innovating out of the challenges we're facing. In addition to sharing models and experience, I invite you to find one thing from each weekly segment that you can put into practice in your own leadership. Think about this. When was the last time you actually changed a leadership behavior to respond to our dynamic environment? Are you experimenting with behaviors that will continually keep you up to date and ahead of the curve? The converse is, are you a depreciating leader? That our leadership skills depreciate just like our technology. So my invitation to you is to think about through this show and each of the shows, what ideas, what one or two ideas do you hear during today's show that you can immediately experiment with. And so no need to make a big step and decide to change long-term behavior, but certainly to experiment in small chunks with how you might apply something that you've heard. And through the series, if you're listening consistently, over a course of months, your leadership skills will change dramatically. So now let's move to Julie and... and, um, First, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, Absolutely. It's a delight to be with you, Maureen. I really appreciate the opportunity. I have uh, had the privilege and the pleasure of working in um, a number of great innovative organizations, both as an executive and as a consultant, and in some cases as, as a managing director, principal, CEO. So I've really been able to experience innovation kind of uh, in a 360-degree view. 
um, and, and deal with the real, you know, challenges and issues and opportunities that people who want to create new products, services, business models, revenue streams um, face and, and helping them do that. I also have the fun and pleasure of being the executive editor and one of the one of four co-founders of Innovation Excellence, which is a global innovation um, community online that harvests um, thinking, blogging, conversation from people in 175 countries and is 90% crowdsourced. So many people who know me would probably say that I have um, a balcony view of innovation, and I've been working in it for a couple of decades, and I love it. So that's a little bit about me. Fabulous. Thank you. And as a contributor to Innovation Excellence and a regular reader, I really appreciate um, the high-quality information that you make available at no charge to your audience. So for people listening, innovationexcellence.com is the website. Yes, it is. Yes, and it's also on LinkedIn, so you can find them in several different uh, venues. And if you have the time, the, the caliber of material is absolutely worth reading, and it can help answer several of the questions you may have. So let's move to questions for Julie. Many people are intimidated by innovation. Can you debunk some of the fear that only kind of special people uh, can and should be involved in the innovation process? Mm-hmm. Sure. You know, innovation has become um, an enormous buzzword, and there's a reason for that. It's also become enormously important. <laughs> and so like eco or green or crowdsource or some of the other buzzwords that have come down the pike, innovation is, is um, on everybody's lips and minds around the world because the world is changing very quickly. And for individuals and teams and companies and, frankly, countries to adapt, they have to be agile and do new things and work and, and live in new ways. And that's essentially the definition of innovation. It's creating something new, whether it's a product, a service, an idea, a business, a business model, a form of education that creates value. So if you think about that, most people because we're human and we are innately creative, have created something new. They just haven't called it innovation. And I have, you know, lived this um, in a very firsthand kind of way. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family, um, and my father and uncle built an, an amazing business that was really the first of its kind, very disruptive. It was a wire and cable distributor. And they never called it innovation, but they completely disrupted the industry and created something that just kept evolving. So innovation is um, its only intimidating if you think you can't learn. And most people I know not only can learn but want to learn. And nobody really wants to stay doing the same thing over and over because that's boring. So I think innovation is really our birthright, Maureen, and hmm. it's something, it's a skill that can be learned. It's a skill that can be taught. It's a, it's a capacity that's innately human. So the mindset then that would go with, with innovation is curiosity. Well, it's curiosity. It's also um, in, invention and making things and trying things, remixing things. You, you definitely need curiosity to start with. Um, another great mindset for innovation is 
um, critical thinking about what's missing in the world. You know, somebody, Garrett Camp uh, and his friends, uh, his pals at Uber, looked around one day and they said, you know, taxis are okay, but wouldn't it be better if we could use our iPhone to track our own, you know, to track the cars that are going to come pick us up and be able to pay on our iPhone and, you know, there aren't enough taxis and, you know, and now we have a 20-plus billion dollar company that has, um, you know, disrupted the taxi cab industry around the world in some cases, you know, uh, with, with real conflict. But um, it, it's really about the willingness to try things and keep iterating and keep making it work. I mean, this is the famous quote from Thomas Edison, you know, about um, I didn't succeed, I failed a thousand times. Or Michael Jordan, you know, for every basketball basket I hit, you know, I, I missed two. You know, these are this is a different mindset than um, perfectionism. It's really about being willing to create, to learn from what you create, learn from the feedback loop, and to um, to make it better. And we seem as a as a as a world, as a global culture, business culture, to be in a continuous loop of iteration. Everybody is. Um, trying to do what they do better, and it's more and more competitive because the barriers to entry are lowered and the Internet has made us one big planet. So it's a, it's a really interesting time to be innovating. Yeah, I talk a lot about the mind of a scientist from the perspective of a leader uh, that I no longer get to be or, I, yeah, I don't get the opportunity to be the one who has all the answers because the world has gotten more complex and it's just not possible to have all the answers. So I now need to take that mindset of I'm continually learning, I'm inviting people to learn, and we're joining a grand experiment. And with experiments, rather than having answers, I have a hypothesis, I have a method of testing it, so so I'm curious, I come up with the, the possible solutions that you suggested, and then I put them into practice in small ways that, that don't blow up our business, but create those opportunities for us to disrupt or just to be more effective. So, so there's the agile, disruptive, change the world, and then there's also almost kind of the lean path that I'm, I may not disrupt, but I can, get, I can experiment and innovate in small ways in existing processes and make them more effective. Absolutely. I'm so, I'm so glad you brought that up. You know, there... Um there are a lot of frameworks and models um, to describe the innovation uh, landscape. One that's very popular right now, I'm not, sure, I'm not sure who the originator of it is, but it's called H1, H2, H3. stands for Horizon 1, 2, and 3. And it's really what you're speaking about. Horizon 1 is your core business. And, you know, we all know that the core can always be improved. And many companies, this is what Six Sigma and, and the quality movement were about. It's about improving what you do, measuring it, making it better. Horizon 2 is about the adjacencies, um, the emerging opportunities. And by the way, these horizons overlap in, in many organizations. I mean, they, uh, they are not uh, necessarily um, discrete and, and completely separate. And then there's Horizon 3, which is about the disrupting what you do. And they, they aren't necessarily time horizons. Like some people want to associate, you know, well, one is zero to six months. It, it doesn't really work that way. Um, but there are different um, 
horizons and, and, and mental models for how you're going to innovate in a company. And I would suggest, and, and, and frankly, many of the clients I work with spend most of their time innovating in the core, which is great because they strengthen, you know, the, the brand, the brands that they have, the business that they have. They, you know, they try and future-proof that way. The problem is if you're not working in adjacencies and, and um, further out in disruption, which can be dangerous and risky, but if you're not working on the future, then you're going to get stuck. And that's what we've seen with a number of the companies that were on the Fortune, you know, top, the, the Fortune 500 and or the Fortune 20, and no longer are. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, you know, uh, there there's a, a long list of companies that we just never thought would go away, and they've gone away. In oh, yeah. fact. Um, John Chambers, who just retired as the CEO of Cisco, made a comment that 20, I think it's 20 to 30 or maybe 30 to 40 percent of companies will not survive um, in the coming uh, need to make a transition to being a fully digital company. Not to say that they won't have a physical presence, but um, the, the way that, you know, Amazon, for instance, or Apple are so, or Google are so absolutely, you know, digitally integrated. Um, it's it's a it's a it's a challenge for companies. So you know you have to be innovating against all three, thinking and innovating against all three horizons. And is there a recommended percentage, or is that really dependent on the industry and and the organization? You know, it is really dependent, and there's some there are different philosophies about it. I would say that most large companies um, have. You know, they spend more time in the core and the adjacent, and, and the disruptive is for their their accelerators and their labs. And by the way, going back to your wonderful comment about science, scientists scientists are innovators. I mean, innovation, you know, Thomas Edison was a scientist, you know, um, uh, and an engineer. He was a, you know, a brilliant, brilliant thinker. And, and, and much of the language of innovation comes from the language of science. They're not really separate. I worked with a um, researcher in the space of hearing and uh, improving hearing for deaf people. And one, mm. of the, one of her quotes, and, and she may not think I got this quite right, but researcher, re- good researchers are as happy being proven wrong as they are being proven right. It's about the quality of the science and solving the problem. And if I have a solution that doesn't move me in the right direction, that's at least data that goes back into the the next experiment, and I can craft another good experiment. Mm. So, yeah, I really do like that that idea of innovator as scientist and leader as scientist, that if I'm leading an organization that is being innovative, I need to be innovative about my behaviors as well. Well, that's a great topic for for going deeper, and I want to do that with you in just a moment. But I will say that that you know you just you just said something that um, scientists are just as heavy being proven wrong as they are right because it talks about the quality of the work. That's where they diverge from business people. Most business people do not want to be proven wrong. They don't want to fail. There's a very you know low threshold, low tolerance for failure. Um, you know, there's a lot of conversation about it, but at the end of the day, you know, it's still very uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And yet, and yet, the companies that 
um, really, you know, put stock in experimentation, are willing to fail, willing to shut things down, willing to move on. You know, Google Glass is a great example of that. You know, it was going to be the, you know, the next big thing, and it's it's subsided. So, um, scientists and, and business innovators are different in that way. And part of what is so challenging about the current innovation environment is that you don't have a lot of time to go to market and get things right. So there's just there is a lot of pressure on people to if they're going to iterate to do it quickly and to um, to make those you know to make those profits and to create revenue and, and it, it's it, it's part of the pressure that everybody's under. I I fully get that running my own company uh, that experiments cost money and time and if I do an experiment that doesn't prove fruitful, I should have a portfolio of experiments that I'm conducting at the same time so that any one of those bets doesn't put me out of business. Exactly. And, and I'm, you know, you use the phrase bets, um, and that's exactly what they are. People like to place multiple bets. Um, what's interesting about what's happening right now is that there are many places where science and particularly data science and innovation are, you know, connected and intersected. And there are a lot of people working in predictive um, data science, yeah. predictive innovation, um, so that they can mitigate against the kind of failures that we're talking about. I don't think it'll ever be 100%. 100%. But um, we're seeing a new, a new class of companies that understand that they can use data science to raise the probabilities, raise the odds. That was actually one of our interviews a couple of weeks ago was with someone who was previously the chief data officer at The Ohio State University and is now implementing analytics programs. And at this point, we're going to go to break. You are listening to Maureen Metcalf and Julie Annixter from Innovation Excellence, and this is the Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Please join us after the break. Thank you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Higher education faces lots of changes. If you're a student, educator, or in the workforce, you'll want to tune in to Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. 
Your host, Dave Goldberg, and his guests will explore the innovations that higher education adopts as it reinvents itself. The world of higher education is constantly changing. Stay on top and stay ahead of the rest. Big Beacon Radio, transforming higher education. Listen for new episodes every month on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm Maureen Metcalf, and we're with Julie Annixter talking about the topic of innovation. And, Julie, what are the biggest enablers for success that you have seen in, in your broad range of innovation experience? Well, you're, you're going to love this, Maureen, leadership. You know, in fact, without leaders who are committed to holding the space of innovation and creating environment, an environment that invests in innovation and that can tolerate some ambiguity, you know, you can basically forget it. And, I mean, I don't mean to be harsh, you know, but there's, there's definitely a room for ground up. And, you know, we could, be, we could be talking about a leader of a startup, you know, three people, or we could be talking about a leader of a multinational, you know, corporation. But... The difference between innovation and the way we're all conditioned to think about work, I, this, is, this is Julie talking here, but has to do, I think, with the risk quotient. Innovation inherently brings risk, and leaders, great leaders know how to create a climate where people are willing to take risks, because if they're not, if, you know, if, if they shut down, and decide that the, the uh, risk is just too great, and they, um, they allow fear of failure to prevail, there will be no innovation. So with, without leadership, there's just, it's impossible. The other, another gating factor is the board. Boards have to support innovation. Um, so it's, you know, we're talking about structural commitment, in, inside of a inside of a uh, an entity, um, an organization. I mean, one of my one of the most incredibly historically consistent innovators in our midst is the U.S. military. And a big part of why the military innovates, first of all, they have to because they don't have you know they 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 don't have the uh, the funds to just you know purchase and buy everything they need. They have to use ingenuity. But they also have an enormously, as you know, deep bench of leadership that by definition is agile because they have to fight and win wars and they have to be prepared and they have to be ready and all of the things that the military is about. And they also have a very noble purpose, you know, most of the time at least. Um, those, you know, there's always a few problems, but and that's to preserve freedom, you know, to preserve democracy. And and what we don't have in many organizations is a deep bench of leadership. I've been privileged to work in a number of organizations that had, you know, leaders that went three, four, five, six, a dozen deep where innovation was the norm and it wasn't just the CEO. 
Um, but one big problem we're having right now in companies is that the CEO and the CMO tenure is short. You know, people aren't staying in those jobs for the obvious reasons. So when the CEO, the new CEO comes in, often, you know, the innovation work that's been done for years, you know, with great investment, just gets, you know, um, thrown out. So CEO tenure is another um, lever. And then I, I would also say um, this is really an important one, diver- diversity. Um, Doug Hall, who ran Eureka Ranch in Cincinnati, kind of close to you, had a wonderful formula that he used for many years at Eureka Ranch, and um, it was, uh, I don't know if I can actually replicate it, but um, stimulus um, divided by fear times diversity equals innovation, I think was something, was close to it. But you really, in order to be an effective innovator, you have to be um, out of the this is almost a cliche, but I have to say it. You have to be out of your four walls. You have to be in the world. You have to be with your customers. That's what design thinking is all about, is being close to the user, starting with the user. So that, that's the other really big gating factor, is I think, is um, diversity, being able to be in the world to experience all of its you know, wonders and challenges. You know, one of our earlier shows, we talked about how to develop these leaders of the future, and one of the things that that we addressed is people who do things outside of their comfort zone and outside of their job requirements. So mm-hmm. uh, Mike Morrow Fox talked, I think, last week about um, people taking on projects that have very little to do with the basic skill set, and yet that keeps our mind fresh and actually builds those neural pathways that I think help us be creative and innovative rather than being 20 years in the same industry where we do little else than associate with the people we've worked with in the past. Yeah, I mean, there's a famous innovation exercise. You may have used it called Borrowing Brilliance, where you basically say, what if Disney took over our company? What if, um, what if Google took over our company? What if Starwood took over our company? What if Virgin, you know, you pick, pick your favorite innovator. And, and just apply their brilliance to your current organization. Um, people really need to be uh, refreshed and renewed. And it's very hard to stay, to keep creativity and, and um, creative leadership and innovate, innovation leadership without stimulus. It's just, it's impossible. So I'm assuming that's also physical, get away from the office, go on vacation, recharge, run a marathon, whatever it is that that allows me to refresh myself as a human being, as a leader, not just go to a business conference. Yes, absolutely. And and here's why that's so important. Um, You know, I had the pleasure of working with Dr. Fernanda Flores many years ago, um, who is um, just an amazing... Amazing leader in and of his own right. He invented groupware. He was a senator in Chile. Just an amazing head of, he was the minister of uh, the economics in Chile. He's just an amazing, is an amazing guy. And he used to say the leader creates the mood. And if you look at any great sports team, um, band, uh, on, you know, theater ensemble, um, you know, uh, creative business. There's usually somebody like Phil Jackson or Carl Lagerfeld or Anna Wintour or 
Martin Scorsese or Walt Disney or Thomas Edison, who is creating a space, um, a green field, where people can refresh themselves at work by 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 being transformed by the work itself. So it's important to get out of the workplace, but it's also important to have a work a workplace that can be transformative right there, uh, you know, right there at your desk. Um, there's a wonderful book by Sarah Caldecott-Miller called Midnight Lunch, which is about Thomas Edison's midnight lunches where he would go home um, for a little while and then come back to the lab and spend from 7 till midnight um, with his uh, with his lab um, uh, colleagues, learning about what they had done during the day, talking about it, drinking wine, eating sandwiches, and it was really an important part of the success of Edison's, you know, incredible legacy of, of, of innovation. He treasured and valued those conversations, and I think we all know that it's this is, you know, you can kind of you kind of know which workplaces operate that way and which don't. And this is why, back to your original question about leaders refreshing themselves and getting out, running marathons, and just going to conferences, if the leader isn't psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically healthy, it's hard to sustain and maintain the kind of high-stakes environment that, that innovation and creativity require. So you have, to be, you have to be somebody who can renew and refresh in order to build a really great innovation culture. They just kind of go hand-in-hand. Burnout and innovation don't go well together. I love the idea that we could refresh without having to leave and go on vacation. Oh, totally. I mean, you remember um, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi's book, Flow? You know, mm-hmm. so I, I, I saw Carlos Santana in Chicago Sunday night. You want to talk about a guy who's in flow state? You know, he and his guitar are in flow state. And it was absolutely thrilling to see, he must be in his 70s now, to see him with his band and his son and his son's girlfriend. And, you know, the entire place was um, on, on fire with his music. Um, most people that I know love, most, most people who work in innovation that I know love the work because it is so compelling. Mm-hmm. It's challenging, but it's compelling. So, yes, absolutely, we can refresh at work. Absolutely. In fact, let me add one more quick thing about that. Um, if you don't know Judith Blazer's work on conversational intelligence, it's really worth looking into because she, what she's done, it sounds like you've done work that is very related. She's done the research that shows, or she's found the research, rather, that shows that when we co-create and discover and share and collaborate Mm-hmm. We 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 release a different hormone than when we get positional and fight. You know, fight for our ideas and push back and and you know get territorial. The 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 former is oxytocin, known as the bonding hormone. Oh. The latter is cortisol, known as the stress hormone. And you know, we've all heard about the amygdala, amygdala hijack. You know, when when the fight or flight mechanism kicks in. So leaders have themselves to be very good at creating a conversational environment where people are not scared out of their wits, which many people in the workplace are. So it's, it's very, you know, it's complicated. You know, that, that brings me back again to another show that we did on organizational vibrancy. And Jim, um, when he talked about the environment where we can be innovative, said there were five key relationships. 
when I go to work in this environment, I have to feel good about myself. So if I am being flooded with serotonin, I'm, that's a, that is the physiological response to not feeling good. So I feel good about myself. I feel like I am with colleagues that I trust and respect, doing a mission that I find noble. So back to our military example, I'm doing something I can get behind. When those three relationships are in place, I feel comfortable expressing creative ideas and I feel safe to try to implement them. And and that ties into your risk quotient that I am not putting my career at risk by trying something new or expressing a creative idea that, in fact, just the opposite is true. If I'm not sharing that, then my career is at risk. So, So... I have found that to be a very useful model for what kind of culture would I want to create to support innovation. Yes, absolutely. I love I love that um, culture of vibrancy, Maureen. Um, I recently met somebody who uh, will remain nameless, but who works for Phil Jackson at the New York Knicks. And being a Chicagoan, you know, um, <laughs> I, who was around Phil and the Bulls at one point in my career, you know, you talk about a vibrant organization. Um, They didn't always win, but, you know, oh, my God, the the level of ensemble in that team is, you know, the stuff of legends. And while LeBron is probably, you know, out there replacing some of them, um, this guy told me what it's like to work around Phil. And, you know, it's pretty thrilling. The guy believes, you know, very deeply and the importance of work as a spiritual pursuit. And it is. You know, and we weren't put on this earth to do the same thing over and over and over again. So this, you know, this whole conversation is interesting because I, you know, I think of you as somebody who's really about leadership and, you know, really goes deep into your thought leadership and your work is around the, the competency and the practice of leadership. Leadership and innovation are, are completely intertwined. Completely. You and I share that view, and having read a lot of the Innovation Excellence blog and and the material that you and your colleagues have put together, as well as the crowd um, sourcing component, it is amazing how the leadership mindset, the mindset of the future, and affect what we would call strategist leaders or or leaders of the future, how how much that mindset is expressed in exactly the the behaviors that you've talked about today. I'm sorry, say that, say that again, Maureen? Oh, that the, the, if we look at the strategist competency model or the, the leadership of the future competency model, there are seven main elements, and mm-hmm. every single one of them, I believe you have mentioned in our conversation mm-hmm. about the the characteristics that leaders need. So, so that ability to step on the balcony, to take a critical view of the entire system and see the interconnections, and be able to step away and refresh and engage people. So each of those, I think, just supporting your comment that, that they are inseparable, that if, without good leadership, we don't have innovation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had the pleasure of working. Um, I didn't. I wasn't an employee, but I got to work at P and G for about five years when A. G. Lafley was there. And 
I worked around some great leaders. I didn't work around him personally, but I worked with a number of general managers. And I, I, I just have to tell you that that organization—nobody's perfect—but that organization has innovation in their in the water system, mm-hmm. um, as 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 does Annexter, the company that my dad and uncle founded, um, that they you know sold many many years ago. But there are organizations where you walk in, you can feel the pulse, you can feel it, and um, it's very palpable. And it starts with the guy or the gal at the top. It really does. There's just, I wish, I wish we could, you know, I, I know Zappos, you know, Tony Shea is doing this giant, gigantic, ginormous experiment with no job titles. And, you know, it's great. Listen, it's great. But he's still leading, you know? Yeah. He's still leading. Yeah. It, I, actually, we're going to interview Brian Robertson, the Holacracy founder, uh, about that. Trans- well, we'll interview him about Holacracy in a couple of weeks. And we'll actually talk a little bit about the Zappos transition and also the idea behind holacracy is you may have no titles, but it's very clear that we have a lot, everyone has an accountability and a clear description of what they do. In fact, there may be fewer org charts, but, but when we don't have org charts to make meaning of things, then we need very clear agreements on accountabilities so that we're effective. On that note, I'm going to take us to break. This is Maureen Metcalf and Julie Annixter talking about innovation on the show Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. If you're interested in gaining strategies to be more successful both at work and your personal life, check out Turn the Page with host Hemda Mizrahi. It's all about building new habits and perspectives. The show helps you identify the changes you need to make that align with your values and priorities. And then apply these principles to your career, health, social life, and other areas. These are proven techniques that work. Turn the Page airs live Fridays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. are listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. 
That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hi, and welcome back to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. I'm your hostess, Maureen Metcalf, and we're with Julie Annexter from Innovation Excellence talking about how to innovate within your organization. So, Julie, we've been talking about leaders and innovation. If we think about how do you, as a leader, what are the must-dos when you think about starting another innovation pro- or your first innovation project? Well, I think, I think first of all, you have to have um, the right team of people, and that is a diverse team. You have to have, um, you know, it's going to sound a lot like, like leading. You have to have a vision and goals. Um, you know, it's not all about ideation and, you know, white space and coming up with great ideas. It's coming up with great ideas because you want to um, fix a problem, serve a need, address an issue, um, serve a market. You know, there's a wonderful architect in um, Boston named Sheila Kennedy, and she created a blanket that actually provides light. And it has been used uh, throughout the developing world um, for women to um, use to cook with, you know, because they couldn't see their stoves at night, uh, to light up, you know, huts so kids could read and do their homework. You know, Sheila and her team um, recognized that there was a problem called We Don't Have Light at Night, <laughs> and they fixed it. I mean, there are, you know, so many organizations working on clean water right now. So you have to know, you know, you have to know what you're going for. There are different schools of thought about how, how you situate that team for success. Um, the team is going to require the, an investment of time. Um, they are going to require resources. They um, are going to need um, support, but they're also going to need the freedom to, to try things. And um, one, one group says, and this kind of comes out of the, some, some of the guys at Dartmouth, um, v, Vijay Govindarajan and, um, and, and Chris, um, oh my God, I'm blanking out his name, um, who wrote How Stella Saves the Farm, and that the idea there is that you can't run the core business and um, run innovation as well. And if you think about the science model, you know, you don't want the people who are responsible for keeping, you know, the trains running on time, you know, innovating on the railroad track, right, at the same yeah. time. You don't want that. So there's a lot of wisdom in that, but basically you have to have a structural um, design for your innovation program and platform that is going to allow the team to get their work done. Um, this also means that you've got to work on the politics and create some buffers because innovation projects often have to cross by definition. Um, if, if we're talking about you know the end game being a new product or service or an experience or a business model, they have to cross they have to go horizontally across the whole business. So you have to find um, points, you have to find nodes in the network that are going to support and not kill the innovation. Um, and that, again, is a function of leadership. It's a function of communication. It's sort of a permanent campaign. Um, the, the successes and the failures need to be celebrated. And one way to celebrate is, and I'm not talking about balloons and, you know, parties. I'm talking about going out into the field and testing ideas with, with users and customers. That's a really powerful way to celebrate the work. 
So, and finally, so you know, participate and engage rather than sending fruit baskets. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's most people really want their work to be honored and acknowledged and seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there's also a really enormous role that data can play, and and and. And evidence and business intelligence can play in both predicting the success or failure of a new offering and also really trying to identify, or not trying, really identifying um, where the precise opportunities are because we now have the ability through um, data science to listen to you know, millions of people and find out what they care about and what they think about your product and how that can affect the next round of you know, development and requirements. So... Um, innovation without data these days is not um, probably sound. Do, do most of your clients have solid data gathering capacity, or is this something that they outsource, or they need to? Um, <laughs> yes and no. Um, this is, I believe, an emerging field. It's an emerging part of the business landscape. Um, I wanted to also say that another key factor for success are, are to have people who can play the role of integrators and help integrate across, um, you know, span the boundaries, span the, the different parts of an organization. And when it comes to data, this is especially important because, as you know, um, many organizations have data in um, different buckets, and it's not necessarily structurally available. So, so yeah, there's a lot of uh, analytics and a lot of data science um, and, and information gathering and research capability inside of organizations, but not many have really harnessed it to be what SAP would call a, a true digitalist, where they can really apply it to every part of their organization. So we're, we're still, I think, personally, in the early days of seeing organizations apply all the data they have to innovation. I, I would agree. A, a close colleague of ours uh, that I mentioned earlier, uh, James Brenza, does a lot with analytics, and that has been the experience he shared as well, that a lot of companies collected a lot of data, but they haven't yet been able to harvest the insights that will be available at presumably sometime in the very near future. It's still the unique organization that can turn analytics to business differentiating insights versus data that we use to run our organization. Most companies now with ERPs are able to put analytics in practice to run but not innovate. That's been my experience. Uh, I couldn't have said it better, Maureen. I think that's exactly what's going on. And, you know, what's so interesting about this whole conversation is that we are speaking to the need for human leadership and we're speaking to the need for data science, and it's the yin-yang. We need both. You know, we need vision and, and creativity, and we need data, and we need people that can integrate the two. Um, uh, Tim Lebrecht, who's a really interesting guy, was the CMO of, um, I think, Frog Design, and he's now at an architecture firm in Seattle. He's written a really beautiful book called um, The Business Romantic, and it's, it's about what it takes um, to really fall in love with uh, your, your customers, your audience, and want to serve them. Um, the, the subtitle is Give Everything, Quantify Nothing, and Create Something Greater Than Yourself. Um, mm-hmm. 
and it's it's really worth a read. But I know that Tim would would not say that that there isn't a role for the kind of data driven insights that you're talking about. And um, you know, with all of this tremendous data that we've got, and the, and the, over the last you know decade or more, I guess it's really more like two decades, the whole push towards customization and personalization and targeting and you know, everybody knows all this data about me. Well, I will tell you, and this is always one of my um, sort of themes, I don't feel like too many companies have uh, really worked at having a relationship with me with all the data that they have about my spending patterns and my habits and where I go and what I do and, you know, what I care about based on what I purchase and how I behave, you know. Okay, you you have all this data. Why do I not feel like I have a relationship with you? Why is there no emotional connection to you? And I, you know, I often say there there are a couple companies that I do feel I have a relationship with. I mean, um, American Express is one of them. Um, Delta is another because they actually know me, mm-hmm. and when I interact with them, I feel known. I feel seen. And um, somehow that contributes to the quality of the experience. You know, we always talk about customer experience, the experience that uh, that I have. You know, I want to take a flyer and just go in a completely opposite direction here um, and tell you about a company that I just saw through. Um, I've been the judge for the Hub Awards for the last two years. Really worth checking out, the Hub magazine, the Hub online um, one of the uh, applicants for the award, the 2015 awards, is a language company in Brazil called CNA, and somehow they got the idea that it would be great to teach Brazilian kids how to speak English by, are you ready, taking pizza orders. So they have an app. You talk about an integrator. You talk about a vision. They have an app that allows pizza orders that come in in Newark, New Jersey to be tra- um, trans, you know, sent if, if people are willing to Brazil. Um, they know that they're being sent to Brazil and they know that they're going to get a discount for being sent to Brazil and they order their pizza uh, over the phone with Bra- Brazilian kids who, for whom English is clearly a second language. And uh, there's a little video about it you can, you can check out. It's called Hello Pizza. Somebody somewhere decided that that was possible. And I will tell you that these Brazilian kids on the video about it, you've never seen anything more fabulous in your life than the, than the conversations they're having with the pizza orders. And, you know, as, as one guy said, you know, uh, I, I'm in Sao Paulo, but the pizza is in L.A. <laughs> so I, I just, while well, it's a fresh example, I, I had to share it because not everything has to be Amazon and Google and American Express. This is Hello Pizza and, you know, CNA in, in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Oh, and that was where we started, that, that if it, innovation has to look like Google and Amazon, then I'm toast. But if it yeah, can look exactly. like Hello Pizza, mm-hmm. if it can look like making my business life and my home life better, maybe I practice innovating by practice experimenting with something I'm doing in my everyday life and start to build that muscle of experimentation, and then I take it to work and innovate the, the daily activities before I decide to launch on something that is Horizon 2 or 3. Uh, yeah, 
I think that's a great way. I think that's a great way to put your toe in the water and start. I think another way is to, you know, check check your passion. You know, where what are you passionate about? Whether it's something you think is so fabulous, you've got to be there. Um, which is the way I feel about a lot of music these days. I, I have to have music in my life, or something that is just so totally not working that you you want to get involved with it. Which I feel that way about citizenship education in our country. So, you know, find the things that you really deeply care about. And by the way, the other capacity of, of leaders of innovation and vibrant cultures, I know we both know this, is caring. So find something you care so deeply about that it's not work; it's pleasure, and experiment with that. I love that. So I'm going to recap a few ideas, and then we're going to talk about what's next for you. And feel free to jump in. So I've heard I have to be an open-minded, experimental leader. I have to have a vision for what we're trying to create. I have to create a culture that supports innovation uh, with an appropriate risk tolerance. So, So we're not talking going nuts. We're talking about taking into account all three time or all three horizons of innovation and being smart about it. So educating my people about what innovation looks like and how we would go about it and placing the bets appropriately, implement integrating analytics and specifically the insights from my customers that that help me understand how do I place those bets smartly and and where do I place them. And, And then I have to care. Uh, truly, genuinely, from my heart, from my soul, care about what I'm doing and feel inspired and inspire the people around me. What did I miss? Um, Wow. I think you did an amazing job of um, recapping our wonderful conversation. You know, I'm not sure I heard this. um, You have to invest. I mean, this requires resources and appropriate resourcing. and you have to value stimulus and diversity, and you have to be willing to change. Um, and I think it's not just about changing for the future. I think it's also about learning from the past. Um, our country, you know, we're blessed in the United States to have a real legacy of innovation, starting with, you know, the Native Americans, the Founding Fathers. I mean, this country is just sort of one big innovation. Democracy is an innovation. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not perfect, but um, it's all around us, and a lot of other, you know, countries around the world, um, while they don't love us necessarily, I think they envy, you know, what we do here around innovation. So um, I think you did a great job. I think you totally nailed it, actually. I mean, you've really, you know, wonderful listener, and you really captured it. Thank you. You've been an amazing guest. So let's spend about a minute uh, hearing what's next for you, and then we need to close. Okay, well, um, first of all, I want to say thank you. Um, What's next for me and my partners at Innovation Excellence is we're going to keep making um, our community and our site a great convening place. Um, I'm very interested in working with kids in innovation, and I'm doing that with um, John Kao and Edgemakers, which I would highly recommend people check out. Kids are natural innovators, and um, we need to support them by, by teaching them to be innovators. And I'm also really, in my own career, profession, in my my work as an innovator and a practitioner, going to be doing a lot more with data science. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> Julie, thank you. Again, you have been an amazing guest and very gracious in your time and sharing your information. And also with everything you do at Innovation Excellence, making this information readily available to a broad audience 
which I realize takes a lot of your time and energy. So, well, we have a whole team, but thank you very much, and I, we have a fabulous team that, that does it. And as I said, 90% of the stuff comes in from across, on the transom from around the world, so we have fabulous contributors, like you, as a matter of fact. Thank you. So, so I want to thank our listeners for joining the show. We hope that you found value in the conversation, and it's such a rich conversation with Julie. I can't imagine not hearing something that each of us could try immediately. Um, so I want to hear your feedback and how you were able to apply these ideas. Please email me. And my email address is info at metcalf-associates.com. And I'll, if, um, I, it is possible that I will read your message on the air. So, again, consider the impact innovators, innovative leaders make on the world and imagine what you can do by improving yourself. So what, what innovations are you making in your life? in your family, in your community, in your work? And how can you use some of Julie's insights to take that to the next level? So thank you very much, and we look forward to connecting with you next week. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.